This episode of MBSing is sponsored by The Second City. Love comedy and filmmaking? The Harold Ramis Film School's year-long program at The Second City is for you. Visit RamisFilmSchool.com for more info. I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my friend Chris Rathjen, and he talks to me about his love of Doctor Who. Uh, thanks to Iowa Public Television, Chris has been a fan of the classic Doctor Who pretty much his entire life and got to experience New Who uh, once it came back in 2005. Uh, so it's been a fun journey for him uh, as a fan to kind of pick up something that he thought he'd totally uh, left off and enjoy it probably more. Uh, so it's, it's fun to get into that with him. Uh, I think there's a lot in here for people who are unfamiliar with the show, for people like myself who have at least a decent working knowledge of it. Uh, Chris kind of expounds on a lot of the origin of the lore of the show and uh, how the Doctor came to be and what regenerations are and how the sonic screwdriver works and things like that. Uh, but also, I think there will be some great stuff in here for fellow diehard fans. Uh, there have been some episodes from the classic seasons that were totally lost that they're trying to... Uh, restructure with the audio and some uh, animations that Chris has gotten into, but I'll let him talk to you more about it. It's just a very cool uh, aspect of uh, the show and of fandom and wanting everything to be complete peace, uh, even uh, when the thing was created before we had precious data storage and digital lives. You know what I'm saying? Uh, man, really fun. Made me want to keep watching the show, uh, even though I've only taken in about a season and a half of the new Who, as it were. A um, couple brief plugs. If you want to hear more of Chris Rathjen, uh, as I mentioned, um, on Mike, he's a member of the Improvised Star Trek. He also has been a guest on and regularly edits for Hello from the Magic Tavern. But he also was a wonderful guest on a podcast project that I did this fall uh, called The Probe. So if you want to hear him on that, I would highly recommend checking it out because he uh, and John Thibodeau played the very funny dads of our uh, most boring character, August Tully Anderson. So I think that it's worth checking out and uh, you should do that. One other live show plug this Saturday night, the 17th, the Nerdalogs are hosting a fifth year anniversary uh, party shindig show for your stories uh, at the hideout is the venue. If you'd like to buy tickets, you can buy them online at our website or at the door. They are 10 thin dollars and you'll get to see 10 storytellers and a live rock band plugged in uh guitars drums keys etc it's gonna be a good time i strongly encourage your attendance i think that's all i've got uh your stories is another show that's in the chicago podcast co-op with me along with chris's improvised star trek and his editing efforts on 
Hello from the Magic Tavern. So please do not neglect the other Chicago podcast co-op shows because they are great. It's a great org. Keep supporting it. Give listens. And give watches to Doctor Who. My guest today is Chris Rathjen. He's going to be talking to me about his love of the television series Doctor Who. Doctor Who, yes. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thank you so much for joining me. You're not too used to uh, conversational podcasting. Uh, no, I, I, I'll, I'm in the character of Chris Rastian right now. So he's a, he's a like funny little character I, I cooked up. So. Shades of Corbermite anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that how all of it works? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so what would you consider the origin of your love and interest for uh, Doctor Who? Oh, uh, well, I mean, no doubt about it. It, it was... Um, it was watching the show with my dad when I was a kid. Uh, so I am from... OG uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, I was... Um, so I'm from Iowa, and uh, Iowa public television uh, is unique in the United States for having been showing Doctor Who continually since 1973. No way. Yeah. Um, so when the show was having its 50-year uh, anniversary uh, three years ago... Uh, Iowa Public Television went ahead and bragged that they'd been showing it for 40 years. Um, <laughs> and so I, I grew up on a farm. Uh, I was about 10 miles away from the from town. Um, and uh, and I was uh, so so really when and and Doctor Who played on Friday nights, okay um, at 10:30. And if you're like, an eight-year-old kid and you can't uh try like that That's is the crazy, greatest like, yeah yeah but that is also like the greatest friday night you can have to get like, to stay up to yeah. watch doctor who um so yeah and, and or to so, even just watch like a tv program that you were looking forward to yeah <laughs> um and so they would just play pretty much all of them on uh they would cycle through all of the the various doctors and you know they'd get to the end and they'd start up again i was gonna say so continuously they literally were playing them all chronologically yeah uh what was that what were those like dates in relation to when that first set of the series was actually released um so i mean the uh the series came out in uh in 1963 uh the first episode actually aired the day after the kennedy assassination Whoa, yeah. weird yeah um and so they got they they aired it again because nobody watched <laughs> yeah i was day. like how could anyone uh even across the pond be like real stoked for this new sci-fi show <laughs> yeah um so so that happened, and then, uh, yeah, 10 years later, they started showing them uh, in the United States. Uh, okay. So so at that point, they'd had like a, they had a backlog of, of 10 years, um, sure. and the show ran continually pretty much up until 1989, so there were 26 years uh, worth of episodes. Jesus. Yeah. Were those like, <laughs> what? how long of seasons were we talking? Because Doctor Who actually has... Whereas a lot of British TV shows are really abbreviated uh, series, I guess uh, they'd say, it seems like it has a lot more in the tank than some of the other more modern shows. Yeah, I mean, it varies. Some of the really old, like the old black and white ones, they would just, they would have like single stories that were 10 episodes Oh, long. wow, cool. Um, 
the the number was reduced. I think it was eventually probably settled in around twenty a year, twenty stories a year. Wow. Um, uh, I mean, maybe I should say, yeah. Actually, that I don't know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but um, but yeah. So I think when you count uh, when you count the new episodes, it's three hundred stories into over three hundred stories in total. Wow. So, uh, so yeah. So anyway, so those were there, and so I would watch them, and, and I eventually saw like all of all the of doctors, and then they started over. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, one of the things they did not show the the very early black and white ones with the first two doctors, um, a lot of those episodes are lost because uh, initially, when they had just invented television, the idea that people would one day be wanting to watch like a ten year old program did not occur to them. Sure. So some uh and there's no telling how they were actually like storing things mm-hmm. and and shuffling through stuff. You yeah. Know? So like in in the 70s they uh were like, "Oh, here's here these these tapes are expensive. We can tape over them." So Right. A huge number of uh old episodes are missing. I think it's like 90 stories have wow. some some data missing some episodes at least missing from them, and a couple of them are, are gone completely wow um but uh what people did even even like back in 1963 people who started watching the show would love it and they would basically point an audio recorder at the tv <gasps> so from uh fans they have audio recordings uh the soundtrack oh of every episode gosh. that uh that's been lost that's crazy um, yeah, and and actually, the the if we can give if we can give people a behind the scenes look here, the reason uh, I talked to you uh, two weeks ago and started talking about Doctor Who was uh. that I was excited because they had just released one of those classic episodes that had been lost, and they went through and they basically uh, went through the script and they went through like the staging directions and they animated. Uh, the missing episode. That's awesome. To match up with the audio that they with had. what actually would have been on screen. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, was it just like a fan project or uh, a studio n- project? No, the BBC decided to um, throw some money at it. Uh, I think they figured out this was like. It also, this wasn't just any episode. This was uh, Patrick Troughton, who was the second Doctor. Uh, it was his first episode it was his first story wow and, and that also means it was the very first time the doctor changed and that's what i was gonna say yeah. which became something that is like kind of synonymous with the show mm-hmm. you have all these numbered doctors yep. and that was the first time there was ever a transition yeah and uh i i was watching it i had never there are some some more hardcore fans than myself who sure. have done like fan projects who've done like uh, basically recreations. They have taken like on set photos and they've they've tried to kind of put together a slideshow for these episodes. Um, I have never like dug up those to watch them. Yeah. Uh, so have you th- listened to the audio on its own before? Um, there are a couple I have. Um, it is. I'll go ahead and say it's kind of hard. It's hard to get into it when you've yeah. just got, especially when you're like there's a long bit of music and you're like, oh, this is an establishing shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no one's like editing it into podcast form for right, you. Right, <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so this was the first time I, I sat down and, and watched slash, slash listened to this story. Um, and so it was very exciting. Uh, the, the thing that was very exciting for me, um, I, I had kind of known this, uh, and it's rough because uh, the majority of his uh episodes are missing, but Patrick Troughton uh, gets a lot of credit for kind of inventing a, 
a big chunk of what we think of as the doctor's character now. Sure. So the first the first uh, actor, William Hartnell, uh, he was a grumpy old man. Really? Um, I mean, he 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 was a little mischievous. He like he he outsmarted people, um, but actually making the doctor like a goofy clownish character um, was kind of more something that stuck. Yeah, uh, was and so. So I went and I, I watched this episode, and first of all, it the um, so they they decided to animate this. I think because it was the fiftieth anniversary of the sure. of the regeneration, uh, oh, cool. and they decided they could have fun with that. Oh, because the fiftieth anniversary of the show was like last well three issue. years ago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, uh, but apparently they just decided they made the call to do that like six months uh, before the episode aired, and the animation is mixed in quality some okay. <laughs> there are some scenes that work very well um all of the sets are rendered in 3d they look gorgeous cool. uh it's a it's a dalek episode so uh the daleks are in are 3d rendered and they look great awesome the human actors are uh are hand are like normal animation and Depending on what they're being asked to do, um, like how, is how smooth the animation yeah. actually is. So, like room, like um, rooms where uh, where like side characters are, are having long arguments um, about the plot. Those scenes were great. Great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when like big you, action sequences. Yeah, the action sequences, at least something we desired. And actually, the the big thing that makes me kind of saddest uh, is that. There's just not a, as much detail as you would hope in in the face acting, um, which uh, which is what Patrick Troughton was great at, uh, and uh, what I feel like w- really would have been showcased and what what sold that weird regeneration process that he was in, like. Um, so That's kind of what, what I was thinking when yeah. when you're uh, lining up what the the drawback was. If you know that was the crux of why you wanted the episode to exist. I wanted that face acting. Yeah. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to see him pull his funny weird faces because he's so good yeah. at at like. I mean, he's a fantastic actor, and and so he can be weird, and he can be funny, and he can be he can do it all. Um, uh-huh. uh, and all of the footage i have of him is is just fantastic he can like go from uh from a high to a low uh either in a way that's scary or in a way that's funny um so yeah so i was really hoping to see more of that Uh but even just even just with what it is um uh with you know less of that coming through uh you can still hear his voice and uh it's still like really amazing like how much of the how fully formed the idea of they didn't even have they didn't use the word regeneration in that episode they didn't use that name for the process for years but they clearly had a very clear idea of what the process was and what the ramifications of it would be um almost a foresight for knowing that they were going to end up doing it again yeah yeah and it was yeah just the idea they're just all of these wonderful moments of him Kind of the the way I've explained it to uh, to friends who I've been trying to get into the show or people mm-hmm. who've asked about it is, uh, you know, regeneration is you've got the same software but suddenly it's all in new hardware and you <laughs> you've got to got to kind of run run everything through and make sure everything still works. Uh-huh. Um, and so the doctor that's that's why it's an interesting choice and it's not probably always greatest in storytelling terms, but here it was perfect that the doctor's like really weird. The first time you meet a doctor, he's even weirder than whatever he's going to be because his brain is fried. Oh, sure. Uh, um, 
Uh, now, when it's done well, it's like it really does a good job of explaining like kind of how uncanny it is to to find yourself as a new person. In a new, yeah. Yeah. Vessel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, he's got a great line uh, in the episode. Well, for, for the uh, big chunk of the episode, he refers to himself, he refers to the doctor in the third person. Like, he's he's pretty sure he's the doctor, but he's oh, not ready to say it out but loud. But he can't quite uh, reconcile that his, like, being is yeah. the same. Uh, yeah, so he'll talk about things the doctor did. That's uh, really interesting. And he's also messing with one of his... He also won't give one of his companions the satisfaction of admitting. Knowing. Um, which is just kind of like a weird dick move. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but yeah, so I, I watched that episode. And I'm like, oh, this is one of the best uh, of the regeneration stories. And it f- was fully formed in 1966. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. So, um, so there's been like a mixed bag of them over the years. I think in general they're always they're usually pretty good stories. But um, what's just amazing is how kind of consistent the show has been on its big ideas. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of yeah. I truly can't imagine having been a fan of something like that for that long. Like I just don't think there's anything that in its entirety I've. I guess you have kind of the. Um, Star Trek uh, like mm-hmm. feel f- where that's concerned too, but I there's just nothing in my life that's been that like ever present because so few things that I'm a fan of have even existed in that way, you know. Yeah, well, it's such a weird cultural thing to. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I mean, it's from the dawn of television. Uh, it's been around for so long. It's picked up so many. So much of its mythology has just been slowly accumulated over the years. Um, Do you feel like that knowledge and awareness was like there when you started watching it as a kid, or do you think that you just got into it because of the like sci-fi-ness of it? Um, I definitely think uh, I loved the sci-fi-ness of it, but I mean, it's also it's a great show for a kid to get excited about. Uh, I mean, the doctors. The doctor's this super nerd. He's yeah. Why don't you, you like know. go into just for in case anyone's listening who's who's you know a heard of Doctor Who but never really understood the concept. Why don't you give like a an elevator uh, pitch? Uh, sure. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> the Doctor um, is a mysterious, uh, and they managed to keep him mysterious even though they've been telling you things say, about him really for mysterious. fifty years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is a mysterious traveler with a time machine um, called a TARDIS. Right. Uh, he, uh, this isn't even established at the beginning, but eventually, and you find out he's a, a member of a race called the Time Lords. Oh, right. Uh, who are masters of time. Uh-huh. Um, and he has kind of run away from their, uh, their withdrawn society because he wants to be involved in the universe Interesting. Um, and he lands in places and he gets in scrapes and he gets involved when he shouldn't get involved uh-huh. um if if your planet is a dictatorship he'll probably overthrow the government <laughs> um if, so his intentions are more adventurous 
than anything else. Well, he insists he just kind of wants to travel, but everywhere he goes, he gets into trouble. Yeah, Yeah. or or Uh, attempting. Yeah, so there's this insistence on his part that uh, he's just trying to mind his own business, but Uh it has clearly never worked out once. Minding your own business wouldn't make 50 years of television. Right, right. Uh, cool. And he usually has, you've referred to a few times, a companion. A of companion. Some sort. So he, um, he picks up people, um, as he travels and, uh, and they keep him company. Um, and, you know, through the years, I mean, uh, we can get into this a little more when we talk about like the modern show. One of the things sure. I love about the reboot is it, is it has taken, um, a kind of bunch of stuff that was subtext or maybe not even really thought out in the old show. And really justified them and given the explanations. Interesting. Um, and so one one of the things that they've talked about in the new show is how he's been traveling for so long that he can't, his sense of wonder is sort of tapped out if he doesn't have someone with fresh eyes there. Yeah, interesting. Um, so he needs... Because he's like, uh I've been everywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. But, yeah. But when he gets a mortal human around who can go, oh, wow, then yeah. he can go, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. This is cool. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's a really, uh, I'm sure, one of many genuine, like, explorations of humanity and being in terms of. Uh, well, kind of like Star yeah. Trek, uh, Doctor Who is a show that's uh, a big love letter to the best of humanity. Humanity. It's a it's a humanist show, and that uh, look how great we could be, everyone. Right. Why don't we just be great? Yeah. Um, I, I look at all these exterior villains that we have yes. to protect our goodness against. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he in the very first uh, the very first episode when the show started, he actually. Uh, kidnapped his companions. Ooh. They were his. Uh, he, when the show starts, um, he is uh, on the run, and we don't know what from. He's hiding, and we don't know what from. Classic. Years later, we find out it's the Time Lords. Um, but uh, but still, in that first iteration, that that was there. It just took him a while to be like to put a name on. Who it. is this guy? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, the name of the show, Doctor Who, is from a misunderstanding he has with uh, with the companions, his first companions. So they're hiding on Earth. He and his granddaughter are hiding on uh, in 1960s Earth um, at a place called Coal Hill School in England. Uh, and she is a student, and the teachers notice that she's a really weird kid. <laughs> like, she's an absolute genius on science and math and seems to have no understanding of, like, modern Social. events or anything yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they follow her home one one day because they're worried about her like they're they're uh, yeah, you know social services yeah, yeah. yeah and they find her one that she wanders into a junkyard and then she they follow her into the junkyard and she goes into what in britain was a uh police public call box and basically it's a wooden shed by the side of the road there's a telephone in it and there are also things like Supplies for the cops. Um, wow. 
And they would they used to be on street corners. Uh, but then even by the time this story is happening, they were kind of being phased out. Wow. Um, so that I never really like thought about the the repercussions of that. You know, you always just see the police box mm-hmm. and I was just like, I guess telephone, but just for cops. Yep. You know, like <laughs> I never thought about like what that actually existed as. Um So it's like those little uh um, the USPS like storage lockers that yes, just look exactly, like extra yeah. mailboxes, yeah. except for the cops. Except the cops would use them. Yeah, <laughs> that is so interesting. Um, so yeah, and so but to know that they were already uh kind of outdated when the show started is mm-hmm. also an interesting yeah because it was it was in a junkyard right um, oh yeah sure uh and the name the name on the front uh, on the gate of the junkyard is um uh, I G Foreman. And they find, uh, they run into the doctor out in front of uh, the police call box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they address him as Dr. Foreman. I mean, we, we want to talk to you about your, about your granddaughter, Dr. Foreman. And he uh. says, Dr. Who? Because he's like, he hasn't even remembered that that's the alias they picked. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but they follow him into the, the police box. And then inside is this uh, glowing space age <laughs> ship. Yeah, yeah. it's and, not a police box at all. Yeah, it's and you know that's Straight the very Harry first Harry Potter tent style. Yep, which yep. I'm sure was, uh, you know, J.K. probably took in a, an episode of Doctor Who or two oh, when yeah. she was a kid. <laughs> um, I would be surprised. I wonder if that has shown up anywhere else in pop culture before then. Mm. Um, but it definitely was like the the big one in everyone's mind. The only thing, and ever. yeah, like uh, I. I remember kind of retroactive because, like, I experienced Harry Potter before I experienced any Doctor Who. It's the that classic, like, oh, this band sounds like the Beatles, uh, yeah. <laughs> or vice versa. Um, but yeah, the only other thing I can think of is like Mary Poppins' bag. Oh yeah, uh, which yeah. is also British uh, endeavor and like a magical person and expanding capabilities of an ordinary object. It, it seems in the same uh, family, anyway. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they follow, they follow him in, they, they, and when he's like, crap, you weren't supposed to see this, Right. he hits a lever, and he's like, well, you can't tell anyone about this, so we're, we're going. Oh, and he so runs was... away with them inside because oh. he's panicked that he'll tell 1963 Earth. Uh, that this, like, yeah. alien is there, essentially. Yeah. Um, and they just, there's... Uh, and there's even more. There's more explanation for how the TARDIS works. So, and then you find out it's called a, a TARDIS, um, and that it is a time machine, and that it's bigger on the inside. Uh-huh. Uh, but they go and they travel and they land at the next place that he's gone, just kind of getting out of there. And they step outside, and he turns around and he looks at the call box, and he's like, "Why is it still a call box? Oh, it's supposed to change. Why didn't it change?" And so it's uh, revealed that this is the way the ship is supposed to work as it blends in wherever it goes. malfunctions. His is broken. I feel like I remember hearing that at some point in the lore of the show. Yeah. That's really funny. Um, Yeah, so I mean. But also great justification. Oh, it's brilliant, right? (laughs) It was so smart. For him to immediately just be like, oh, it's it's broken. That's like the whole show. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that, I mean, the reason the show lasted is because they very early on, like had some very big ideas that they like kind of got locked in very well. Uh Uh-huh. And then that meant, like, if the adventure of the week wasn't great, you still had, like, uh, this kind of 
over, I, I know this word is overused, but kind of this big epic stuff uh, about the ideas of the show that like oh, still cool. still apply and carry over. Sure, yeah, it still felt like an episode of Doctor Who, even if it wasn't like the best one that you would see. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and and the fact that they've can still like right now uh, write a funny scene where they explain how it's broken. Uh, the fact that that still is something you can come back to mm-hmm. fifty years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so at a certain point, uh, his his uh, granddaughter left, and the and the teachers uh, got home. But there's always just been a rotating cast of people coming in and keeping him company the uh, the entire course of the series. So, uh-huh. Um, and most of whom are there willingly, occasionally people get caught up on the ship and it's impossible. To, it's super hard to get them home. Yeah. There was a companion in the eighties where, uh, she was a flight attendant and they spent like a season trying to get her to her flight, um, <laughs> in Heathrow airport. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if they ever made it. She eventually got to Heathrow. I don't recall if she made her flight in time or not. Right. Um, but yeah, that that's a it's a really interesting balance to and, and I'm sure that the new series has uh, deals a little more with this just because of the way the nature of the way that television and the way we watch it has changed. But, you know, balancing a procedural with its longstanding characters, mm-hmm. I think, has to be especially with something like Doctor Who, because like. Yeah, they changed the actor who plays the doctor, but ultimately you're supposed to accept that mm-hmm. it's the same character. Yeah, and they've done um I think what's what's great about the current incarnation of the show, um, and this was true by the very, very end of the original run, but the show was starting to be written by people who grew up with it. Cool. And so uh so like the the very the very last head writer of the show kind of identified himself as a as a fan. Um, and pretty much everyone who's run the show since then uh, identifies as a fan. The last head writer of the like original of the original run. Yeah. What, what do they call? How do they differentiate the two eras of Doctors? Um, the way people talk about it now is they say they call it classic Doctor Who. Um, or sometimes, uh, if you go to a message board, you might see New Who. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I knew there had to be a little shorthand. Yeah. And then uh, for that stretch of uh, 19 years where there was nothing but like one TV movie uh, in the middle, those are called the wilderness years. Uh. (laughs) Um, And the other thing that's very interesting is during the wilderness years, they had no reason to think the show was coming back. So it spun off into books. It spun off into radio dramas. So you've got like just this huge, huge body of uh, additional material there that... Canon. Yeah, yeah, and, and fans can decide which things they want to treat as as canonical or not. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah I guess I, I never... I wouldn't have known that there was that big of a gap between the series and... Uh, man, it's almost like... Did Doctor Who start the trend of, like, rebooting, I guess? Like- um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it did. There was uh, one, of the, one of the things that I think is so fun about it, and, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I know it's one of the things that's so fun about it, is even though you've had all of these different uh, 
actors, even though you've had all of these different writers and producers and different ideas of kind of what the show was, like right. the third doctor was more of an action hero. You can go like you can look and, and see the show has has had different flavors of How itself. How many over doctors the years. existed in the in the classic? Uh, so the last doctor was the seventh doctor. That's right. Um but uh, there was a moment in uh, in the 70s uh, during the fourth Doctor where they actually, there was an episode where they implied that the first Doctor we saw was not literally the first Doctor. Oh. Um, and I was thinking about it when I was watching this animated episode uh-huh. um, is uh, the Doctor in this episode, clearly he knows what has happened to him. Right. Um, he's not... Uh, he's out of sorts because he's in a new body, but he... He knows that this is the process. Of, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. The, uh, the, the want to make it clear that the doctor in his iteration of the first episodes was not necessarily the first iteration of right. the doctor. And then later they eventually established it. Well, for the 20th anniversary special, they wanted to call out that these were the five doctors. Oh, uh, so, sure. So then it later became locked in. Um, and then people... Now fans can debate like what that episode where we saw faces that we thought were past doctors. What did that even mean? Yeah, yeah. right. So, uh, yeah, start um, using asterisks next to every yeah. number of every doctor. <laughs> well, and that is something they took advantage of for the 50th anniversary. They took advantage of the fact that the show had been off the air for, I think it said 19, but it was 16 years. Uh-huh. And they announced like, oh, uh, there was a doctor in there we didn't tell you about. Um, what? Uh, so if you if you'd seen the 50th anniversary special, they had John Hurt as the guest star, oh, and cool. he was a missing doctor that we didn't know Just about. Just to like yeah. get a, a a guest star in there, yep. basically yep. to sell it a little harder. That's really funny. Uh, <laughs> that is the gift of being able to kind of write the lore of a show as yeah. you go, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I think the show did very well is it it actually was very good about not writing its lore like it really let it out happen in drips and drabs and they would only for special occasions yeah (laughs) and also they would have the doctor like to keep the doctor mysterious uh he wouldn't like explain things all the time sure he would make offhanded comments and you know leaving people to like sit and like whoa what did it mean yeah, yeah of course of course um which uh i mean if they'd known, it's almost as if they knew it would last this long because their pacing was just glacial on how That's slowly they so let this funny. info out. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even really think about that. But um, but yeah, when the doctor first shows up, uh, you know he's not from 1960s uh, Great Britain. Um, but they don't even address whether he's uh, human or not. Um, he might be a human from the far future, um, or he might be an alien with a time machine. And they don't actually make it clear... Uh, explicit until like six years later uh, in the very last uh, Patrick Troughton episode, the one before he regenerates, um, they established that, oh, I'm, my people are the the Time time Lords. Lords. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, It, it seems like that has always existed as a huge, like, billboard type acting position in the UK. 
Um, yeah, well, one of the, the the other thing that's great about the show is if you tune in and even if even if uh, you're you're catching a weak episode, they always got like a really good character oh, actor to I'm play sure. the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's why it works even when even when you've got like a creaky episode or you know the show it's is famous probably for also like a law and order who's who of like you know all these british actors getting their like first tv credits oh yeah yeah um anytime anytime uh someone you're seeing if you're a fan you're seeing all the time announcements of like oh this this british actor died they were in these three episodes of doctor who <laughs> that's like, really funny yeah as goon number two, as <laughs> as president of the moon. And, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, that's even better that yeah. they were in more than one yeah. as different characters. <laughs> well, because people didn't have, like, there wasn't VHS. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you basically didn't watch uh, repeats. Or if you saw a repeat, it happened once. Um, and then no one would ever see that episode yeah, again for the rest really of, of their life. And you're not going to go, that's the same actress who played... Yep. The governor of the moon, or whatever yep. your example is. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that too. Of uh, like, I mean, obviously you've been a fan of this for a long time, so you can kind of rattle off all the uh, doctors and everything. But the idea of like watching PBS and wanting to be like, man. It'd be really cool to like know more about this. Well, guess I'll wait until next week when I can watch more Doctor Who. Oh yeah, there was no internet. Yeah. <laughs> there was no... Uh, yeah, I hadn't. You know, I hadn't really thought about that. But yes, it was very hard. Uh, I will say, I uh, I do have a good uh, memory for being uh, a nerd. Yeah. I've got a pretty and I'm pretty good at filing details away and, and drawing connections yeah uh <laughs> so it served me very well so i laugh i've laughed that because i've listened to a couple of episodes of uh hello from the magic tavern that you've uh, been a guest on an edit from time to time and uh they have featured details that you talked to me about that <laughs> you like picked up and stored away as an editor and it yeah. makes me laugh because i'm like Man, the guy, the guy, like, p- puts away lore. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love just, like, stuff. a really natural way. <laughs> it just has made me laugh a lot. Because yeah. uh, 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 we were talking about Eustador's bird thing, and then it was a, a major uh, arc in the most yeah. recent episode. Uh, anyway, um, did, was your dad kind of that way, too? Do you think he kind of helped you stay, like, interested and get these little, like, tidbits of... Oh, I mean, he, he liked the show. He thought it was fun. I, I don't think he he just was like he wasn't as into it as i was it sure. was it was a fun show to put on yeah um, right uh, that sounds like most uh parent yeah. uh child relationships <laughs> these days it was like oh i'm sure he had no idea that uh when i was like six that that my brain was like such a sponge for that stuff uh-huh. so. and that it would be something that you would still be watching to the point of like watching those reconstructed old episodes right. and stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, and who who thought... I mean, the idea that the show is still... is being made again. Yeah. Um, no one no one thought that would happen. Right. Um, I do... I remember there was... There's like an interview where uh, John Pertwee, who's the third doctor, they interviewed him in like the early 90s. He was at a convention in the U.S. and they... Uh, they were doing an interview with him, and they were asking him, like, oh, why do you suppose people still like it? And he's like, oh, you know, it's adventure, it's fun, and the Doctor's a great character. And they a pretty standard, like, interview. And then kind of yeah. at the end, they're like, do you think the show should be brought back? And he's just like, no. Uh- <laughs> 
no, that's fine. <laughs> no, no, pish posh. <laughs> yeah. Won't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, they're approaching the point where they've been on for almost as long as it was the first time around, no? Oh, no. Uh, I don't think we're even at the halfway mark Oh, really? Because they wow. ran, the, f- the first run was 26 years, and I think we're uh, uh, at 12 now. Okay. So we're, thinking, we're almost halfway. Yeah, you know. yeah. But, you know, it may very well get there. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's showing no signs of slowing as far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there will be there will be a day where it will need another breather. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then it will get a comeback again. So uh, what um, like when the show uh, came back, was there like what was there a gap between when they stopped making the show and like when they and when you stopped watching it? And when they started making it again, does that make sense? Because yeah, yeah. there's kind of a delay in how um, you're watching yeah, it. Yeah, so they stopped making the show when I was nine. Oh, um, shit. Okay, okay. So uh, that was 1989 was when uh, the last uh, episode with uh, the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, aired. Um, and then in 1995, uh, Fox made a made-for-TV movie to see if there was enough interest to reboot it. And uh, they did the right thing of getting a good actor, but then pretty much everything else about the episode was kind of a mess. Oh. Um, uh, and I can tell you why, <laughs> why if you want. But, um, um, but then uh, when they rebooted the show for real in 2005, uh, first of all, they learned a lot of lessons about what not to do from that, from that movie. Uh, the movie kind of went but in. Still, ten more years. Yeah, like what a what a weirdly dangled carrot. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. So so I mean, during that time, I had still been. I was still watching the reruns when right. the when the TV movie aired. I was really excited. Yeah, I was um, gonna say. I was thinking that that timing had to work out to the point where like you were still you know appointment was, viewing. Yep, I was I was fifteen, and it was they were actually kind of cooking it up. I think to be a show that would run before or after X-Files. Oh, wow. Because um, it was, you know, there was a, a raft of those that they, they, you know, they had the X-Files, sure. Fox did, and they were trying to find some companion piece. And I know they yeah, had, Yeah, like, that's so, that happens so much. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's why CBS became, like, military-based yep. procedurals and stuff like that, you know? This is like, oh, CSI was, like, the biggest hit of all time. Yep. Let's see what else we could cook up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but the, it was not very good. Um, <laughs> and so it didn't, it's just this one-off weird movie. Uh, um, <clears throat> uh, and, and then, uh, I went, I finished high school and I went to college and I kind of forgot about it. Uh-huh. I just, you know, um. It was just like the show you watched when you were a kid. Yeah. And so it was still kind of, not a lot of people had known the show. So, um. When when you could actually say to someone like oh you, oh doctor I know Doctor Who like right it's, sure it was a very rare thing I um, would think so before the uh, new seasons of it yeah um, and I know I don't think I was really aware of it at all until that happened well I I have a friend who had seen it and you know had never has never watched the show but has just like every time they've seen clips of it here and there. And she described it as it looks like a fake show that would be on a real show, like it uh, is like it like they use it on Community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Inspector FaceTime. Inspector FaceTime, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah, it does. Like, if you haven't seen it, it is so kind of weird and different 
from everything else. There, I mean, the BBC did make other sci-fi shows, but almost none of them made it uh, to the U.S. So, uh, so even that was so like their style kind of only exists here in that in that in that example. Yeah. Whereas, like, yeah, if you turned on an episode of NCIS, you'd be like, yeah. "Oh, I've seen CSI before." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I see. I see. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So I had pretty much kind of forgotten about it uh, until the show came back. Um, and uh, I pirated uh, a copy of the first episode. Of course. Um, it was 2005. It was 2005. <laughs> and uh, it was only airing in Britain. Right. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And there was like it was a year before it was actually a legal way to get it in the I in would the US. think so. Yeah. yeah. And probably like really expensive, like episode by episode yeah. releases or something like that. Um, so I was just kind of, I was just going to, to tune into it. I mean, kind of out of curiosity. Yeah, I, sure. I, I was excited. Um, yeah. I was really surprised by like the gush of um, of joy I had when I saw it again. Yeah. Um, and it is very much. It, it helped very much that the show was made by someone who clearly loved it. Um, the the showrunner Russell T Davies who brought it back. Um, I think he and I really agree about what made Doctor Who great. I think cool. we're on exactly the same page. Cool. So it was it was wonderful to watch it in that regard because every every like moment of it was just like, yes, this guy gets it. That's awesome. Get it. Oh, I, I can't imagine how incredible that would feel as a fan to mm-hmm. just like like let it wash over you get Um and and of course television had changed kind of so much since uh since Doctor Who was originally on that the other thing they did, and I mentioned this earlier, was they kind of went a little postmodern and they started like, well, all of this stuff that we took for granted and it was just because of the format of the show. And whatever, Let's give character motivations for all that. Let's explain why this is. Let's, cool. let's uh, kind of take this apart and and call these things out and, and then justify them. more modern yeah. television would do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot more... Um, you probably had more of the ability to make it less episodic and more like cohesive over the course of a season mm-hmm. than you ever would have before. Yeah, and I, I will say they also kind of let themselves uh, deal with the uh, actual emotional life of the characters in a way that they never really did before. That's interesting. Um, because there were some, I mean, there were some great companions from the classic series, um, uh, but often like, Usually, especially when they're new, they've got some. They'll get some great scenes with the the doctor to establish their character. But day, like week to week, they're for getting into trouble and uh, yeah, being another person for the camera to follow for investigations. Sure. Um, A vessel for his excitement, like you mentioned yeah. before. Yeah. Um, and there are like there there are moments in the '80s where they establish these characters with some interesting backstories, and then just never really mm. address what makes them tick. Ever again. Yeah. Um, whereas in the new series, like the the companions are, worry about their families back home, right. and like, uh, th- but there's a there's like a kind of a classic one, a classic example in the in the eighties. There is a companion uh, named Nissa of Traken, um, and Nissa is from uh, a- an enlightened space empire. Um, she's uh, a philosopher princess from the. From the planet uh, Trocken, mm-hmm. and Trocken gets destroyed. Um, 
and she's the last of her kind. And not only that, um, her father is killed and his body is used as a vessel for uh, the master, who is a villainous time lord. Oh, Jesus. Um, so she's got to deal with this this um, murderer who's got, like, her father's face in numerous episodes. Uh. And they don't deal with that at all. Like, they... I, I, they <laughs> They, acknowledge, they, like, let it hang. Like, oh, this crazy thing happened. They acknowledge kind of once that it's, um, that it's like, oh, that's crazy. And then, like, literally does not inform any of, like, the character's the motivations character. or anything. Wow. Um, It'd be like if the Animorphs book series just, like, went on with Marco's character being unaffected by his mom being a controller. Exactly. <laughs> that was, like, all I could think of. I was like, oh, this is just Animorphs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so they they kind of fix that. They don't do that in the new series. They they deal with um what what the actual companions get arcs. Yeah, a full yeah. full bodied mm. arcs. Uh, so we I have actually seen that's the portion of the show that I've seen is when the new series started. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've seen uh Chris Eccleston. Eccleston, yeah. Um, I've seen all of his episodes. Uh, but really. Um, mostly watch those because I felt like I wanted the context to be able to watch David Tennant's episodes mm-hmm. because I just really like David Tennant. Yeah. Um, and uh, was in the UK when he was the doctor and saw um, a couple of shows at the Royal Shakespeare Company that he was in and the like fangirledness yeah. <laughs> surrounding that was insane yeah people ladies love david tennant yeah um, yeah <laughs> uh so yeah i'm i'm curious what your thought on i because for me that first eccleston season th- there were things that were kind of uh creaky in the production they were still kind of figuring out uh how to do i mean the other thing you got to keep in mind is the show is a massive make work project for the bbc uh they didn't have a CGI department before they started doing Doctor Who. They didn't have, I mean, I don't know, I shouldn't say they had no CGI department, but they didn't have much of one. Yeah. So this was also work for their puppeteers, for their prosthetics people. Like, um, So you can see they're getting their feet in that first season. Yeah. But I love it because the show was hitting all of the all of the stuff I thought it should, and it was br- even doing more than that. It was bringing it back in the right order. Oh, interesting. And so I'm wondering what your take on it. Um, so first of all, uh, this probably makes me like a quote unquote bad nerd, but I don't, I'm not as like enraptured by sci-fi and fantasy as I am by some other genres. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that I haven't like sat down and, and watched it all exhaustively, I would say is probably more contingent on that than anything else. Uh, I also watched the first season of Game of Thrones and <laughs> walked away. Uh, so I think that's like a little telling about my general watching tendencies with that out of the way. Uh, I liked it. And I could definitely see why, especially with, you know, those like caveats of, this was of a certain time and of a, they were creating it from a certain place. And the idea that they also were doing this intense fan service is like, it's amazing. Like I said, I just don't, I can't really think of anything that exists mm-hmm. like that, you know, at least um, in that era of pop culture. Now, you know, we can point to things. Like I said, it feels like that might've been the first major 
reboot. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we we have like the Force Awakens and yep. the the also JJ like Star Trek movies yep. and and uh, you know those things. I think nerds have had fun like pouring over in terms of the way that they uh, do justice for original material, but. Um, it it seems really interesting and like a crazy endeavor to take on to try to like keep all that in mind while you make a new thing. Well, to finish a sentence, I just realized I started uh, thirty minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> it is a reboot, but it is like literally a continuation. Like oh, part of, cool! Part of the selling point is this is as as weird and as implausible as it is, despite the fact the show has had so many different tones and actors and everything over the years. The idea that they're selling is this is the same story that started in 1963. Honestly, that's way more interesting to me. Why don't they do that more? Uh, um, why don't why, more why people it, start shows, restart shows from... <laughs> I, yeah, I guess, like, why don't we, if we're, like, exploring uh, intellectual property that yeah. already exists, why can't the, like, all-female cast of Ghostbusters movie, like address stuff that's already happened in other Ghostbusters movies. You I, know, like, yes, I think that, that would have, I would have uh, been happy with that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah like, it, it's so strange the, the things that, like, studios and projects decide to, like, ignore or recreate. Like, the, the you know, I know there's all these, like, um, uh, contract and ownership dealings to do with this property, but, like, like the Spider-Man origin story, like can't we see Spider-Man as he I get it, Uncle exists? Ben dies. Yeah, yeah. like it's just, and, and even Batman, like all the superheroes are, are pretty guilty of it at this point. But that's so much more interesting to me. Why don't we just accept that this thing exists in the world with, that we're still creating it in? Well, I mean, I think that's uh, I, the thing that I, that really makes me think of is like. Uh, you know, comic books. Comic books have had to deal with the fact that their stories have gone on right. for fifty years. Right, um, and they, they finagle it. Yeah, right? and so and so they. Sometimes you can get like some really cool, like high concept stuff out of addressing this huge backlog. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the thing is, they don't. They don't really want to sell that. Like they they want to sell Batman punching the Joker. They don't want to sell like. I wish I read more Batman comics. They don't want to sell like, oh, <laughs> Batman versus the Council of Owls that, you know. The, the creative way that yeah. Batman turned over Batman to Robin and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. 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 I guess that's interesting. I guess that's like a fair point. And well, it does. It also makes me think of something they uh, that Ron Moore, who was, um, you know, the he was the head writer for Battlestar Galactica, but he'd also been a, a long writer for, um, for the Star Trek series. And he basically said when, when the last uh, Star Trek series Enterprise went off the air, uh, he just made the same. It's like, we've just got, like, too much. There's too much that's established. It's hemming us in. That's we really might need a, re- a reboot. Um, and I think one of the ways that Doctor Who sort of – well, there are a couple of ways Doctor Who avoids that. Um, one is that it's a huge galaxy. It's a huge universe. He can go anywhere in the entirety of the universe. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of future and past. So he very rarely actually gets embroiled in a recurring story unless it's, like, with uh, a peer of his, with a, with the Time Lords. Something that they're yeah. purposefully yeah. kind of revisiting. So, like, there's no reason you'll, 
you'll show up on a space station and they might not even establish, is it the year 50,000? Is it the year 250,000? Um, it's whatever it wants for us to, to set up what we want to set up for the plot for to happen. Um, and you don't, like, I can't tell you, I can tell you a lot about the history of Gallifrey. I can't tell you about the future of the human race in the Doctor Who series because they jump around so much. That's really funny. Yeah. I guess I never thought about that, that they're they're simultaneously exploring what has been and yeah. what will be. Uh, or yeah, you you show up at this space empire, and it could be it could have these people could have died a million years before the Earth was, was formed, and we're having right. an adventure there this week. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, and you're not beholden to uh, star dates. And yeah. Such. <laughs> um, but the other thing they did when they rebooted it that uh, kind of cleared them up so that they could so that they weren't kind of trapped in their continuity, uh, is they established that while the show was off the air, the rest of the Time Lords died. Oh. Uh, so that is... So a lot of people who watch the show think that's he's always been last yeah. of the Time Lords. I think when you said that he, like, escaped the Time Lords, I was like, oh, I thought he was, like, the, the only one left. Yeah, no, that happened while the show was off the air. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of savvy. Uh, yeah, it was a great move, and I'll go ahead and say, like, it got me. Really? Um, uh, yeah, well, seeing him have to, you know, make amends with that as being part of his character. Yeah, um, I'll go ahead and say there was, there was a moment in the first episode where I, like, really got choked up. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know if you remember the first episode, but he, he meets his new companion, Rose yeah. Tyler, and uh, there is this m- mass of intelligent plastic called the Nestine Consciousness that's planning to take over the Earth. I do vaguely remember this. And he goes to parlay with it. He um, Yes. Uh, and that's w- that's when in the episode and when in the new series you find out there was a war. Um, and you can't understand, what you can barely understand what the thing is saying. I couldn't yes. understand what the thing was saying. But you can hear his half of the conversation. Right. And for someone who knows the character and is invested in the character, it was heartbreaking. Because his half of the conversation is, uh, no, it's not true. I... I tried i couldn't save your world i couldn't save any of them wow i fought in the war and you know that he's not a character who would ever fight in a war unless it was unless the stakes were yeah uh so you you immediately know the stakes and you immediately know he lost uh and then the next episode you find out that when he lost everyone all of the other time lords die um, so they immediately just give you like this gut punch. So th- here's this guy who was, uh, I mean, he had chosen to run away from home. Right. Um, and A rebel of sorts. Yeah. Uh, but now he can't go home because mm-hmm. it's gone. Uh, so that was a way that they both kind of cleared up their storyline. Uh, it was like, we don't need to deal with the Time Lords now, but also in a way that like gave him a great deal of a new weight. I was going to say, I feel like that character, and I haven't, I never got far enough to kind of see uh, what the other new era of Doctors did with it. But I do feel like Eccleston, um, even knowing like, and having seen David Tennant as an actor before I like watched his episodes, it was like hard to imagine them playing the same character. I felt like he was very like stalwart, and uh, I guess it would make sense mm-hmm. that being his like the origin of that particular series or part of the series that he would be the more like 
you know, veteran, yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah, and I guess I guess that makes me think we actually haven't talked too much about the Doctor's character much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when when Eccleston came back, he was immediately my favorite Doctor. Wow. Uh, and I don't think, and, and as much as I, I like David Tennant and Matt Smith, um, I... He remained my favorite doctor pretty much until Capaldi came along. Wow. Uh, so I'm lucky that, that we've got my favorite doctor now. That's crazy. But, but I thought it was great because he was, um, yeah, he was such an, um, an emotional actor. Uh, I was going to say, do you think it's harder to compare that new era of like them kind of having to use their chops a little more emotionally? Um, I do, and th- there are moments. There are moments in the original series where they give, you know, they give the the actors uh, some moments, mm. and th- th- um, but you don't really see them quite as tortured as you ever see um, Eccleston. Uh, and also, you know, they go back and forth on well, how much how much does this doctor goof around? You know, every time they they recast, they have to decide whether he's going to be uh, silly doctor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so to for him to be like no this is the this is the grounded guy um he he's clearly got like a lot going on just under the surface um but my absolute favorite episode in all of doctor who uh is the Eggleston episode um the the two part of the empty child the doctor dances with the gas masks yes um and it is the end where he actually where everybody lives he's figured out a way to save everybody that is i remember those episodes and and them easily being some of the best i watched mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can go back and watch. I, I still tell people that is the best. Uh, I've like watched them dozens of times. Like there is not a line wasted. Um, like the performances uh, are perfect from everyone. Yeah. Um, but I did not know this until I looked it up later. But that is literally the first story in all of Doctor Who where there's no death count. Whoa. Uh, there, there's one episode in the very, one story in the very first season where they don't leave the ship and just talk to each other. But um, aside from that. that The ship bottle episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so they had a lot of conversations over the years about what kind of makes, what, what always stays the same mm-hmm. with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this... Um, this animated episode I'm watching is great because you can see how many of the bits are being invented by Patrick Troughton. Cool. Um, but the thing that uh, Stephen Moffat, who's the current showrunner, mm-hmm. uh, he was coming up and he was uh, a television, he was a sitcom writer, basically right when the show went off the air. Uh, so he never got to work on the original show. Um, he did write for he did write a uh, a charity special that w- where Rowan Atkinson was the doctor. No way. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. That's so funny. Um, and so in that he he formulated. Uh, oh, actually no, he used he uh, he's the first time the words were said on screen, but the rules were actually written by a guy named Barry Letts, who was a writer during the Third Doctor era. Um, but the rule is whatever else changes about the Doctor, he can never be cruel. And he can never be cowardly. That's it. Oh, wow. Uh, and then, of course, he's a genius. And he knows a bunch of stuff you don't know. <laughs> um, and sometimes he can be arrogant and sometimes, but never cruel and never cowardly. Those are the, the shorthand. Um, and so that went from being a kind of behind-the-scenes thing that one of the writers said 
to then a thing that they made explicit, a more explicit in, yeah. in a comedy episode when they never thought the show would come back, that then they have now uh, used to great effect at key moments in the in the show's That's return. That's so now. funny that that was that the Rowan Atkinson thing was yeah. like when that this like crux of the character mm-hmm. actually was uh, kind of founded, but it was also. Was that still when the show was off the air? Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe they're playing a little looser with the deck. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yes, Rowan Atkinson is not canonical. Though, <laughs> no, uh, wouldn't we have to call him Doctor Bane? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, the idea by the end of that of that uh, episode. Uh, the last 10 minutes is just a montage of the doctor getting electrocuted as he tries oh to save the God, day. Oh, my God. I don't want to watch this so bad. <laughs> and that process involves him cycling through a number of guest stars in quick succession as, like, using up his regenerations. <gasps> That's amazing. Um, so that at the end, he is he is regeneration-free. Um, he... Uh, because there's also a rule in in Time Lord lore that you only get so many new bodies. Really, so. but of course they don't define that. So oh uh, no, they yeah. did define. It. Well, they had. Uh, so this is funny. There there are so many like weird moments in the show that happen because of someone throws off some line to for some plot device in 1976. And then it changes how a story needs to work out in in 2011. Right. Um, uh, and one of the examples is there was a there was an episode in 1976 um, where the doctor. It's the first time the doctor goes to Gallifrey on screen. I'm sorry, that's not true. It's the second time. It's the first time he goes and he's not in a courtroom. His home planet. Yes. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Gallifrey is where the Time Lords are from. Um, you used it a couple times, and I happen to know that, yes. but I wanted to make sure. Uh, fun fact: uh, that wasn't said on screen till like 1970. So that's really? a thing that's that's trickled out. And uh, when David Tennant said it again, it wasn't until like the third season of the show, and it was said to great effect. Uh, um, so uh, that's that's another example I have of like the new show, like. Dribbling out the lore, uh-huh. uh, but so anyway, he's oh ho- yeah, second time he goes. Uh- yeah, so he's he's on he's home on Gallifrey, and it turns out uh, his his nemesis, the master, is there and is killing people. Um, but they have to establish the master's motivation, uh, and the real motivation is that the great actor they had to play the original master died, <laughs> um, and so they basically put a guy in burn makeup and said, all right, well, the master is this kind of crippled, wretched creature now because he's used up all of his regenerations. Oh. Uh, so they're like, and you, you, only get, uh, you only get 12 regenerations. You can have 13 bodies. Whoa. Um, and that was just for that episode. And then people have been counting, and it was like, well, it's never going to, we're never going to get there, yeah. right? Well, they get there in, in, in 2014. Here um, we are. Yeah. So uh, that's why there was, I remember there being so much, not just question of like who is going to play it, but question of like how is the show going to handle right. this regeneration. Um, and they handle it by, well, the thing that saves them is in 1983, they establish uh, that giving someone regenerations is an active choice the Time Lords do. Um uh, so not everyone on Gallifrey is a Time Lord. You gotta get accepted into the Time Lord Academy. Okay. They, 
uh, and presumably when you're there, they they make you immortal. They they juice you up with um, with your regeneration energy. A bunch of. Uh, um, and then yeah, so there's twelve anoth- cat lives or yeah, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. So there is uh, an episode in the '80s where the master, who at this point has stolen that companion's father's body and is played by a new actor. Um, and is, is mobile again, uh, but he's basically running around in a stolen corpse. Um, and they just, like, ignore the fact that that was the origin of the character. <laughs> well, they, they call it out in that episode because, there, yeah. because they say, like, you know, that, that body of yours can't regenerate. But if you, the Time Lords basically offer him a deal. If you do a favor for us, we will give this body regeneration. Wow. Um, so they establish then that, that it can be done. Gotcha. So then in 2014, when they were out of regenerations, they contrived a way for the Time Lords. Uh, to like retroactively. Or yeah. Something. Who also at this point it's, have been brought back from the dead. I <laughs> see. So, yeah. So <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, but yeah, it, it's this, this these random like throwaway plot points from from the 70s and 80s informing like well how are you how are we going to do this that's so funny there was enough of it that they'll never really it will uh, nothing will purely be a retcon because they'll be able to track like some line in some episode that's like well if you if you notice this yeah that's that's a more satisfying to me than the latter than the idea of like kind of that comic book effect that we were talking about i've never been a, an avid comic book reader by any means but my in trying to follow when people start talking about storylines mm-hmm. you know like you were saying like uh, the the deeper parts of batman than just batman punches joker it's like what what now you know like i even caught like a scene from batman versus superman that was very it was like lex luther uh cutting his hand and bleeding onto um uh michael shannon and like i was just like this seems like something that they pulled directly out of a comic like (laughs) um so i feel like it would be more especially for those fans like you who might actually be interested or try to track that back to episode x from season y yeah uh that's great um what are some of your favorite uh, companions? Um, well, so uh, uh, a lot of the, the new ones are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a big Rose Tyler fan. Uh, she was great. Yeah. Um, I do think my, my actual favorite uh, was Donna Noble, um, who was uh, David Tennant's second companion. Uh, Not so what? There was one who was in a wedding dress the whole time. Yes, she was in a wedding dress in a. She was that was a one-off episode. She was a guest for a holiday special, um, and then after her, uh, there was Martha Jones, who was a great companion. Yes, um, and I don't think I ever made it past the Martha episodes. Yeah, uh, objectively, someone I, I hadn't noticed, but objectively, Martha Jones has accomplished a greater feat in Doctor Who history. She does manage to save the entire world uh, on her own. Uh, to the extent that has not happened in uh, that any other without any powers, without any like magical intervention. Cool. She, Just being in the right place at yeah. the right time. I um, guess. Yeah. She she wanders the earth for uh, for a year, basically building this grand uh, plan against 
the master, uh, who, the doctor's doctor's enemy, and, and takes him down. Wow. Um, but uh, but then after that, uh, Donna Noble comes back as a full-time companion. Oh. And I will go ahead and say that. I think that always super confused me. Yeah. Because I didn't, because I was like, well, I saw I saw the part that she was the companion in. Like, yeah. I, I, did I miss other parts? Yeah, people seem to love this, yeah, this woman. Exactly. What's it about? That's exactly what it was, yeah. The, the reason people love her so much is that is i think the the only time doctor who as a show is actually straight up operating as a buddy comedy ah, yeah because she and david tennant have such great chemistry well that together. actress is like she's just gone on to have yeah. like a great comedic yeah Catherine tate that's i thought yeah. it was Catherine tate but i didn't want to uh be wrong, um, um, but yeah, the episodes from the season where she is a full-time companion, those are those are literal uh, comedy. Or yeah, yeah, th- and there is, you know, there's always a, an undercurrent. There's always some funny bits in sure. the show. Yeah, but there are just brilliant, brilliant bits of like some of the most brilliant slapstick comedy I've ever seen that season. There's the first episode where she's back. There's this long pantomime scene where. Uh, the whole episode is she is looking for the doctor. She had decided she made a mistake not going with him when she met him. And she's trying to track him down. And he's investigating an alien takeover on Earth. And they just keep missing each other. That's they really keep missing great. each other. Yeah. And then there's this beautiful scene where they find each other and they're on, they're both spying into the room of the villain. Oh, that's really funny. And they really see funny. each other from, from uh, uh, alternate windows. Uh, and they have like a huge, big, long pantomime conversation. That's it's so just great. fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think she's probably the greatest. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so that I, I would so say she she's was my the favorite. companion for Blink? Uh, for David Question Tennant. Mark? For Blink? Or don't blink. Oh no no no! Um, so blink. Uh, so Martha was the main companion for that episode, but that was also what they call a Doctor Light episode. Oh. Um, which is that they found a way to tell um, another story in the universe where the Doctor just sort of passes through. Interesting. So I think it was uh, Carrie Mulligan was actually the protagonist of that oh, episode. Oh, um, uh, my boyfriend told me that recently because we we got into. I I think I must have talked to him about the fact that you were probably going to um, do Doctor Who on the show, and he had watched more of the show than I thought he had. Uh, he watched like through to some of the um, Peter uh, Capaldi episodes. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, Carrie Mulligan's in it." Like because ever I feel like if I have like broad, shallow knowledge, yeah, yeah. so I'm aware of that being one of the like highly touted episodes of the show. Um, uh, even though I haven't seen it, yeah. <laughs> obviously I didn't make it far enough. Yeah. in, in its seasons. So. Uh, that that episode is so interesting because it is such like it's a short, it's a science fiction short story that barely has anything to do with the. That's doctor. exactly what what Eric said. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting when I when I'm trying to recommend the show to people, I have to decide whether or not when that it's episode came out, it's not necessarily a great introduction to Dr. Who. Right. But it is a great hour of television. Right. right. Uh, so yeah, you got, you got to pick, uh, what do you what want, do you want to people do? to witness? Yeah. 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 So do you usually direct them to that, uh, uh, Eccleston two-parter? 
Um, I what I do is I try to gauge how much they have in them. Uh-huh. Um, if it's like if it's someone who's only going to watch like one episode and and give up if it's bad, I tell them to start with Blink. Sure. If someone's like, I really want to get into Doctor Who, then I'll be like, Look, you got to start from the very first Eccleston episode. Uh, you know, some of the uh, production spotty, but the acting is great, and they the, the story is great. And yeah. trust me, and if you, you'll get to the gas mask one, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh huh. So yeah, so you got to make that. Uh, you, you know, you have to make a judgment call on your audience. That's really funny. Yeah, yeah I can see that. I I can also see myself after this conversation and. Uh, Probably much to the chagrin of Matt Young, because I feel like in our over the course of our entire friendship, he's been trying to get me to watch more Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that this might spur me to would probably be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I've always you know told myself it would be a thing I came back to. Um, so we'll yeah. see. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm always uh, available to explain any of the lore, um, <laughs> well, probably more than you want. But. Let's talk a little bit about Capaldi, because now you feel like he's, this is like your favorite uh, doctor-wise era of the show. That seems uh, like a crazy feat to be able to have gotten this far. Yeah, well, so he's uh, he's fun because he's he's not a particularly silly doctor. Yeah, um, and the silly ones are very easy to he's like. He's like one of the older, yeah. oldest. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I th- he might well be the oldest actor. Is Moffat still the showrunner? Moffat is still the showrunner. Um, when did he take over? So he took over at the end of uh, the David Tennant run. Okay. So that would be um, in 2010. Uh, so he either took over in 2010 or 2011, but um, and then he had the whole Matt Smith run uh, up through the uh, the 50th anniversary special, which uh, was great. Um, and then after that, Matt Smith left, and Peter Capaldi has had two years, and he's going to about to start a third. Cool. So, um, and uh, yeah, I, I it's kind of hard for me. Oh, well, I'll go ahead and say. Well, I said this to you, and I I don't mean to get. Uh, uh, th- there is a difference between like the two showrunners, their style. Um, uh, I think I said to you uh, before when we were talking about maybe doing this, um, Russell T. Davies. So Russell T. Davies uh, became famous in uh, Britain doing Queer as, Queer as Folk. Oh. Um, and he's done like a lot of, um, yeah, like social dramas. Yeah. Um, and so he had been he'd been wildly successful and had done some great shows, critically acclaimed shows. And the BBC asked him, "Is like, all right, what's what do you want your next project to be?" And he's like, uh, I w- "I'd like to bring back Doctor Who." No shit, that's so cool. Yeah, and they were like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> that's so cool yeah. that they were like, uh, "So what do you want?" And he was like, "This is what I this want." This is really that's what I want. Awesome yeah. that he like. That he did all that other stuff and got to just go, I'm going to revive this thing I love because I know how to do it. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like to say, like, uh, th- I'm the production was a little... Uh, well, it was almost... You know, I, I said he did, like, social stuff. It was almost more, like, soap opera production. Sure. Like, um, you can ju- just the way it's shot. Yeah. Uh, I'll go ahead and say the some of the comedy was a bit broader, um, yeah. and w- and the of thing those, is the, uh, of his reign, yeah, in general. Um, but it's one of those things where like I agree with every decision he made on what the show should do. Uh, occasionally, I question how well it was pulled off. I see. Um, and then Stephen Moffat uh, took over, and you know Stephen Moffat has written some of my favorite episodes. So let me let me 
load these caveats in at, at the top. Sure. Um, and he's he's written my favorite season now after yeah. this last season. Um, Ed writes for your favorite doctor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there are also like moments where I was like, well, why did you do that? But I yeah. do have to say like his, the, the execution is just like, the show is so beautiful now. And it's, I mean, if you watch Sherlock, uh, yeah. I, I think it's something that the, that the BBC figured out, um, you know, instead of a bunch of money, what if we're really smart about cinematography yeah, and like, like uh, visual language? Mm-hmm. And I mean, Luther and Sherlock mm-hmm. are both, and I guess Black Mirror yeah. would probably fit under that. Definitely. The, the uh, production value of those shows is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like among some of the best. Yeah. Um, so, so then, so you've got this, uh, this, uh, run of the show that's like just brilliantly executed, but that I'm not quite sure I, I agree with all of the the choices Doctor that are made. Doctor Who creative choices. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, and that's just how you know the show's been on for so long. Everyone's. Uh, I still I still think they're uh, you know great uh, eras of television, but uh, I think the thing that made me most excited was there was a. There was a period there in the Moffat years where I sort of thought the thread was getting lost, and it was he was too kind of free with um, with the plots not making sense. Mm. Um, and the you can make the arguments like, oh, it's a story about a time traveler, and like, why does anything have to make sense? And well, you can make that argument. I don't think the person making the show should make that argument. I agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> that is no way to write a show. Yeah. So like the overall. Overall arcs uh, were were kind of shaky, and also the kind of the dynamic he went for with uh, the companions. I didn't really appreciate. That's going to be a, yeah. a, a follow up question for me. But yeah, um, well, so uh, Stephen Moffat started his job, uh, started his career in TV doing. Um, I, I don't know whether this is. I, I don't think this is his first show, but it's the the first one that made across was coupling. Uh, he, he's done a lot of like relationship uh, drama and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and, you know, coupling's real funny. Um, but I'm not sure. I, d- I didn't want to see kind of like a bickering uh, bickering couple. Um, sure. That's uh, not why you're, why you're tuning in. Right. Uh, and so I was like, I don't. Also, th- there's a thing. There's a thing uh, with uh, romantic comedies and that sort of uh, His Girl Friday banter where people uh they're flirting but they're fighting but they're flirting but they're fighting um you like it's one of those situations where if if you nail it if you hit the bullseye it's perfect Mm -hmm. and if you miss it by a bit then people are just jerks to each other yes yeah wow yeah there's a lot of truth to that yeah and i i feel like that that's why i'm i was less enamored with with some of that era because it didn't always work yeah for you um but now we've got so i think one of the reasons i'm loving it now is we're at a point where all of the great things i love about uh the stephen moffat era are there and the the things i like less have been slowly phased out it's probably harder to justify with the capaldi doctor yeah kinds of interactions yeah yeah and um yeah well yeah he's yeah, he de- he wouldn't like engage in that stuff. But I also, I mean, the other thing that the show did was it it, it uh, had Amy Pond, who was uh, Matt Smith's and by extension Stephen Moffat's first companion. Eventually, her husband was traveling with them. Interesting. Um, which is a very interesting idea. Uh, but I feel like they were real mean to each other. Oh. <laughs> like I was. 
I would watch it and be like... It's my understanding, and this may be uh, off base, that Moffat has a little bit of a contentious relationship with the fans because of things like that, because of the way that he writes female characters and yeah. relationships. I, I would say um, there there are people who uh, who have more to say about it than me, um, and they, they have... Uh, no, I think you're the foremost uh, <laughs> expert on this topic. <laughs> um, people, people, I will, I will say uh, my... Th- I'm I'm going to make some excuses for him. Sure. And uh, if you think it's bullshit, I'm making excuses <laughs> for him. That's you are within your your rights. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. I'm not asking you this to like. I don't have any base for like what his writing is to be able yeah. to like hold your feet to the flames for like. Why do you like this sexist schlock? Like that's yeah. not what I'm trying to do. I think it's just interesting that it seems to be something that surrounds his name and his. Time yeah, and I, I think it is legit. He uh, here's here's what I think the problem is. So he is just. I mean, and I think it comes from writing. The coupling is is what I go to because it's like, oh, it is from writing sex comedies where yeah. where everyone's everyone's awful right. and and yeah, you do really hold up like men are like this and women are yeah, like that, right? Um, and so he brought more of that into Doctor Who than I would have thought uh, was necessary or appropriate. Um, there's actually uh, well, uh, but I think what actually really exacerbated the problem is that he did not handle any criticism well at all. Like, if, mm. someone, if someone pointed that stuff out to him, he'd really dig in his heels um, to the point where he had to quit. Someone told, made him quit Twitter um, because wow. he would argue with fans. Uh, people bringing up, uh, you know, reasonable, reasonably pointing out, like, why would the... This isn't in character for... The, there's actually a moment uh, in one of the episodes uh, called Let's Kill Hitler. Um, yeah. Where uh, where the doctor uh, actually says ah women, and uh, someone someone looks at him like that. And he's like, all right, in my defense, I'm dying and I've been murdered by. Well, he's been murdered by. I'm, I'm not even going to tell you what the whole process is, but he's been poisoned and dying. It's like, it's not. I don't think it's bad that the doctor said that. I think it's out of character that the doctor thought that. Um, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Uh, and also saying... I mean, even like even going back to the base level of like no cruelty. Yeah. Um, to just curse an entire gender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when like it's not a woman who killed him. It's uh, it's someone who has been brainwashed by uh. Uh, by a cult to poison him. And it's like, what well, this is... So the curse couldn't have been, uh, cults. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so founded complaint about yeah, a I mean, throwaway a, a definite. Uh, but I think that's just like the, the most blatant moment sure. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can also point out like uh, the Russell T. Davies characters, uh, when the companions, when they left the show... They almost, to a T, except for the ones who had memory loss, got jobs like defending the Earth from aliens. I see. Um, and Amy Pond becomes a fashion model. Uh, I see. Yeah. Uh, so so those things that are legitimate complaints were greatly exacerbated by the fact that he would... Would never back down from them. Yeah. So Which I think we can probably agree is the worst way oh, to yeah. oh, battle yeah. uh, uh, this kind of um, uh, like critiquing right. in, in the, in the um, current internet era, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think what's interesting is that he 
slowly he slowly took those criticisms on board without ever admitting that they were right. So he's kind of been like slow rolling them into his writing. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I, I I mean I give him credit mm. for that, but it, it's. Uh, but it's like, yeah, he didn't. He didn't want to admit he was wrong. There's also there is also uh, an episode of Sherlock that is. Uh, he's also the showrunner for Sherlock. He's also the showrunner for Sherlock. Uh, it's the episode af- uh, Sherlock spoilers coming up. Um, uh, uh, oh, should uh, I hold uh, off? <laughs> the last episode I watched of Sherlock was the one after the wedding. Okay, so you're caught up. Yeah. Um, th- uh, this much. is this is the one where you know after Sherlock supposedly dies, Correct. And he comes back. Um, I was th- like, that has to be the only major spoiler that is yeah. involved, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, there's actually a whole plot in that episode about uh, about these Sherlock fans. They're basically internet fans, and he's making he spends like a, a huge chunk of the episode making fun of people for caring about what happened. Right. Uh, and it's like, yeah. I was like, that's a real, like, a, you're, you're taking time out of your show? That is so weird. Yeah. I never would have made that connection, uh, you know, because I not even realizing uh, that all of these were, like, uh, Moffat projects. Man, that is so interesting. Yeah. Because he really does. It was, like... I had to kind of slog through. I think that's actually what, why I haven't, why I'm not like, I hadn't seen, I just watched that wedding episode like a few months ago and I couldn't remember why. And I think it's because I really hated that first episode of that season because every time I would try to watch it, I would just be like, I don't like, this isn't the show I remember it being. And then you watch that wedding episode and you're like, oh, this this is a great show. (laughs) Well, I mean, and then, you know, that's the thing. Anytime I get too frustrated, he'll produce some brilliant work of art that I'm so glad exists. That's so um, funny. I can totally see that with watching Doctor Who as a whole, you mm-hmm. know, uh, one, uh, you know, bit of a slog into something else that is just like pitch perfect, just yeah. by the nature of trying a bunch of different things. Yeah. Some of them are going to work and some of them aren't. Uh, is there anything else you would feel um, remiss if you didn't get to specifically comment on it? Um, yeah, there was just one other thing that I noticed watching this um, this animated reconstruction that uh, I wanted to like share specifically. Um, uh, I talked about how they'd already kind of gotten regeneration, the idea of regeneration worked out, and what it what it means right. to go, what it would mean to go through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, the other great thing they did was they. Uh, we're already using a fantastic uh, mechanic that the show does, which is basically the doctor managing to impersonate uh, an authority when he shows up somewhere. Yeah. So the the episode uh, "Power of the Daleks" is the Troughton episode. I've been I forgot been about, about that as a, a a feature of the character. Of, yeah. Oh, one of his abilities, I guess. Yeah. Um, the episode starts with him. He lands. He's. Uh, they spend about ten minutes dealing with the fact that he's changed. Uh, and then they wander off into, off on this planet, and he runs into a man who is immediately killed by an assassin's bullet. Um, the man has is wearing a badge that says uh, "Earth Inspector, Afford All Access." Uh, so he just takes the badge and puts it on. Oh my god! And he uh, and he's still like super loopy at this point, but he goes and he impersonates an inspector from Earth um, to get through the episode, mm-hmm. uh, to get through the story. And there, 
when the show comes back, the very first episode they establish uh, that he's got psychic paper. Um, no, sorry, I think it's the second episode. Yeah. Uh, that's basically just a way to like get that badge out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's it, so funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he uses it to great effect just so that he can get into the room and talk to the people because. Being in the room and talking is his power. That's so funny. Uh, to and I think I've expressed this uh, to Matt before, but something that um, this reminds me of something that my boyfriend cites that he likes about watching improvised Star Trek. He feels that all of the paper paperwork is already filled out at the top of the show. Yeah, you guys don't have to sit down and go. You're Corbin Hayes. You're Captain Baxter. Yeah. Like you know your relationships to one another, so you can just do the fun part yeah like that the psychic paper is is the literal paperwork of doctor who episodes yeah yeah (laughs) although i do have i do have one absolute favorite one that is a bit of work but the the uh it's just brilliant in execution it is uh, a sylvester mccoy story so it's the late 80s Uh, he's the last doctor before the break Uh but he lands uh and they are going to a um uh a a military uh, uh, army base during World War II, mm-hmm. um, and they're actually going to Bletchley Park where they do the the code breaking that you see in like the imitation. Cool, game. awesome. Um, uh, although they don't actually deal with that too much, they deal with uh, ancient Viking ghosts. But oh wow, okay, okay, um, okay. But uh, he lands and he uh, talks his way. He t- he finds a guard and he's like, "Go find the commandant of the camp and bring them here because I'm important." Uh, and then once the guard is gone, he goes into the office and at a typewriter forges his credentials um, while while the guy is getting the guard. And then uh, like on their letterhead, on it? their letterhead and then signs two signatures with like his arms crossed with different hands of two different people. And basically is folding the thing up to put in his coat when the commandant comes in so he can That's take it out and hand great. it to him. That's really great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's so funny though. Like to to pinpoint, you know, the re- being in the room and actually doing the action is what you want the show to be about, mm-hmm. and being able to just make these really simple things to make that never make you never have to worry about that as a writer's room. Yeah, uh, even though you got you lose out on some fun, uh, uh, you know, storylines. I'm sure over the course of 300 stories. Well, you, you can only do that typewriter trick once. <laughs> the, uh, the psychic paper is clearly clearly the better way to get to get Long, into the room. Longer yeah. legs on the psychic paper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think we've I think we've covered the gamut pretty much because usually for when I talk about a TV show with somebody, I want to know like episodes and seasons and characters and things like that that really stand out for them i think we've uh kind of naturally covering the whole arc have gotten to a lot of that yeah um how do you feel like your love of doctor who has influenced you creatively and uh kind of your life in general oh that that i mean that is a hard question just because uh i mean the show went away for such a long time uh like i mean it was gone from my life for for a long time i didn't really think about it from uh high school until uh until the show came back yeah um i mean i i do think it is part of that same i said this before the humanist tradition of sci-fi uh 
you know, favoring nonviolence, favoring intelligent solutions, um, that, I don't know, I, I feel like everyone who was kind of raised on that stuff sort of took took in as like, oh, yes, this is this is moral instruction. This yeah. is uh, this is how you should aspire to deal with your problems. Bettering always. ourselves now for a better tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how much it got in there, but it certainly is of that of that mold. Uh, I, I try to take that. I take that as granted that that's the right way to do things. That's really great. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, uh, I mean, in terms of, uh, in terms of like fandom, like, I mean, I, I do the improvised Star Trek, but this is really my, I mean, I would say this is like my real fandom just because it is so dense. Yeah, like, it seems like it. Um, there are so, like, I there are so many details. Like, I can explain to you the history of the sonic screwdriver and where it <laughs> came so from. It's so funny that uh, when we started talking about the psychic paper, yeah. I was like, wow, I can't believe we never talked about the sonic screwdriver. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to tell you real quick. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, it honestly, there is a, it was uh, an invention that was shown on the first time for the second doctor, and he was trying to prove to someone that he was a time traveler from the future. And he's like, oh, here, here, I've got a sonic screwdriver. And he u- literally uses it for a screw. And I'm not sure whether they ever do that again, whether they ever... That's such a good bit. Um, but it's initially just used as a screwdriver to demonstrate how sc- how sonic That's screwdrivers so work. so funny. Uh, but... That's also a very interesting thing is that it has its uh, use in the show has evolved, but it has literally evolved over the course of the show. And the I don't think it's ever said explicitly, but um, Time Lord's a, a sonic screwdriver is not like a Time Lord invention. Like that's actually it's pr- just a yeah, space thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's that's pretty lo-fi by their standards. Right. Um, but he found it somewhere on his so travels. It's not it's not like sonic screwdriver is to Time Lords as lightsaber is to Jedi. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's something he found, and then it's like a power converter is to Jedi or something yes. like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And through the course of the show, you have seen him without them ever like probably arcing this, arcing this out, like slowly like tuning the thing up to work on more and more stuff. Uh-huh. By the time the the third Doctor part of his arc is that he's trapped on Earth. He's been punished by the Time Lords, and he's trapped on Earth. Uh, and the real reason for that is they were switching to color film, and they didn't want to do alien sets and color film at the same time. That's really funny. Um, but the side effect is that he gets really into gadgets because he's trapped and he can... Sure. So he soups like up. A, he makes supercars and he does this... Harry Potter muggle effect. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. But one of the things he does is he keeps fiddling with his sonic screwdriver. That's so funny. And there's an episode where they're, they've been... You know, and the big thing it's great for is busting yourself out of a prison cell after you've been captured. Sure, 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 right. Uh, And there's an episode where, you know, they are stuck in a prison cell and he tries to use it on the door and it doesn't work. And so there's a big long scene of them talking while he's making it. And and now it works on, and now it's magnetic. Oh, Um, right, yeah. So it's been slowly accumulating. Instead of coming up with some other... evolving psychic paper it's like psychic screwdriver yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like they make a, a reason for it to be something else yeah so by the time the new show comes up it's like oh it can reattach barbara wire it's setting 47j or something and then like i think in the most recent iteration it's like you just point and think like it's that's really it's, funny it's psychic at this point right of course um yeah 
Uh, the little blinky thing from Men in Black yeah. stares to have. <laughs> yeah, it can do it can do pretty much whatever they want now. Uh, yeah. Although they have they have established it will never be used as a weapon. That is part of the rule. Cool. Um, so, um, but yeah, and uh, and it's neat. <laughs> when. Uh, do you watch episodes like as they get released and stuff? Or um, yeah, so I, for a while there, I pirated it, and then uh, I uh, resolved that if I uh, ever could afford it, I would pay for it, and now I can. So I, I watch know, on iTunes. I uh, know exactly what uh, you mean, yeah. uh, and am starting. I feel like I'm like just now starting to get into the phase of my life where I'm like, I need to start paying it for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's so, it's so funny too that it's still pretty appointment viewing for most of the UK. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, um, yeah, it's still very, still very popular. I think it's slightly come down a tiny bit from, uh, David Tennant's last season. That was really, uh, the heyday, uh, the heyday, uh, there. I do. I mean, it hasn't gone down much. It's still yeah, very, I was very say, popular. I feel like people went nuts for Matt Smith. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's when they finally. That's when they really made a push for it here. When they really started I marketing see. it here, and BBC America. Maybe started that's why I have it. a perception of yeah. that really being what people went for. Yeah. So that's uh, that's when most of the U.S. started soaking it up. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you find yourself wanting? Is it something that you share with Dory? Like, is she a fan of it at all, or is uh, it more so like? <laughs> this is. A, I'll say it's a very funny story. Um, in that, so I've got this story about how I came to love Doctor Who because it was something I would watch with my dad. Um, <laughs> Dory's mother is a big fan of Doctor Who, and she's and that's this that's her story about why she hates Doctor Who oh, is that her mother was always watching that's Doctor so Who. Funny. Uh, and she, uh, yeah, she has... What could have been? Yeah, <laughs> or what may not have been? I don't know. What yeah. if you had both been like Doctor Who nerds and yeah. never would have gotten together? Uh, <laughs> no, but but we're at the point now where I will watch a season and then uh, I'll be like, all right, here are three good episodes good episodes. enough that you will, that you'll like them. And, yeah. and she's a real sport about it. That's so, so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. That's great. Well, you gotta you gotta appreciate a, a good sport. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, this was a blast. I really appreciate it. It's giving me new life. I'm gonna <laughs> go turn some on and uh, pick up where I left off. Fantastic. And if you're wondering about what anything means, just <laughs> let me know. Uh, we I'll do another one of these unprompted wherever you are. I uh, do not doubt that I would be able to talk you into that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. I love you. I mean that. Uh, all right. Thanks for having me. This was great. Baby, how you feeling? This has been an Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.